How are we doing? Happy New Year, everybody. I hope, it's a, I hope it's off to a great start. I haven't seen you all year. And so the year just got better for me. So Happy New Year. I'm excited you're here. Every year we start uh, January with a series called Focus. And we do this intentionally because we have natural start times throughout the year, January 1 being our primary start time. But if you're a parent, a start time is also when school starts. And I think that's the bigger countdown for a parent than on New Year's Eve because then you're like, I'm ready for the kids to be back in school. And actually, you're probably counting down after, Christmas, after New Year's Eve because you're ready for your kids to go back to school after they've been in the house for two weeks. Or if you got college kids, they've been there for a month and you're ready, like, I love you, but you gotta go. You know, you, you know there's just something about rhythms and routines, right? And uh, one of the rhythms that we like to start every year with is focus and really just being intentional about what God wants for us uh, in a new year. And I was, as I was praying about this series, uh, I actually shared this with our leadership back in September. So I typically start my New Year's countdown around July because I'm like, God, okay, what do you want? Because I got a lot of, I, I, it takes me a long time to plan. So I got to have a long runway to coming into January. So I started praying, God, what, what is it you want us to focus on in 23? And as I was praying, I would get quiet and, and I would just hear, pray. I'm praying, God. What word? What is it? What do you want us to focus on? I hear, pray. I am praying, God. What more do you want me to do? Pray. I mean, just, that's a, it just kept ringing and then through different confirmations, because I, I can be that difficult and thick and, you know, miss the point sometimes, uh, through, through some great confirmation uh, with, with, with people around me that are close, they said, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe God's calling you to lead our church to be focused on prayer for 23. And you know, it's that moment when you get it. You know, like when you're telling somebody a story and they're not getting the story and then all of a sudden the dots connect and there's like that light bulb that goes off. You're like, I got it. So our focus for 23 is pray, prayer. And I, when we say that, we're like, well, I pray all the time, you know, yeah, but do we really pray? I mean, that's, that's the one of our greatest things. When we think about what is prayer, it's our communication with God. I mean, it's a way to deepen our relationship and connect in that relationship. And sometimes I think we take it for granted because, listen, as, as humans, we're not always the best at communicating with people, especially those closest to us. We kind of make assumptions, right? I mean, the longer we're married, Heather and I can have a conversation without words. I mean, we've been married long enough, and, and we finish, finish each other's sentences, and, and, but, but there's something about the connected communication that deepens the relationship, and God desires that with us. And as we, as we look through this series, we're going we're gonna to deal with some, some topics that, are, that really we, we wrestle with. You know, what, what is prayer? We're going we're gonna to tackle some subjects of how to deal with unanswered prayers, because I think a lot of us carry some, some hurt. I mean, if, if you'd be honest, I can be honest that sometimes I carry a little bit of, of hurt that I perceive from God because he didn't answer my prayer. And I'm like, well, God, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like a selfish prayer, but God, why didn't you answer that? And uh, so we're going to deal with that. And, and we're going to talk about the art of listening 
and then the art of reflection and really what prayer brings us into because it, it brings us into the, the presence of God. That's what Jesus did for us. That when Jesus was crucified, when he gave up his last breath, when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, he gave up his last breath, the curtain that was in the temple that separated the holy of holies from everyone else and everything else, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus is our, is, he's our mediator. He's a mediator of this new covenant. What is this new covenant? It's grace, that by grace we can enter into a relationship with God and Jesus paved that way. And by, by Jesus being our mediator, he allows us to, to have access to the presence of God. And I think sometimes we just kind of miss that, right? We just kind of take that for granted. And, and, and if you're like me, the longer, the longer Heather and I are married, I make assumptions on what she wants, and so I don't ask. You know, or, or, or she'll say something, but I have to admit that I'm not fully listening. And if we're going to grow in the depth of our relationships, then we have to get better at our communication. Look, this isn't just for marriage and our children. This is so we can commune with Almighty Father who desires to meet with us, who stands ready. He never sleeps. He never grows weary. He constantly desires to converse with us. I mean, we, we, we read in the Bible that God loves us, but let this truth really sink in. God likes you. And God wants to spend time with you. He, he loves you enough to pay for our sin, and he likes us enough to want to spend eternity with us. And that should bring us into this, this, this hunger for a deepening connection with God. And the, the way for that is, is communication. That's prayer. If there's no communication, there's no relationship. So Jesus, being our mediator, taught us how to pray. He shows us how to communicate with our Father. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is going to teach on prayer. This is, this is as Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the great sermons. I got to be in the place where they believe. You know, it's funny. When we were in Israel, we would go to these sites and they would go, this is believed to be where this happened. You know, and there's some places that they could say, we know this happened. But the Sermon on the Mount was a, was a beautiful place on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And there's just the way the landscape was. Was, was built perfectly and created perfectly by God to communicate with us because Jesus is, is God in the flesh. And as he's standing on this mountainside and he's teaching, he didn't have to have microphones and he didn't have to have lights. God created the environment perfectly for Jesus to speak to us. And he's teaching us how to, how to speak back to our Father. He starts out in verse five, he says, and when you pray, not, not if you pray, but when you pray, it's when you pray. And, and, and prayer, it's not like that. Well, when you get to the last resort and all you can do is pray, you know, we, we need to realize prayer is never a last resort for the believer. It's always a first response. Because there are times in my life, I just hit a point, like, I don't know. God, I need you. I, prayer isn't the only thing I've got. It's the first thing I've got. And that draws me into the presence. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know, hypocrites, you know, we, if you've been in church for a while or you've been out of church for a while, you, we're probably all well-versed in the term hypocrite, right? Because when I was outside of church, I left church because of the hypocrites in the church. 
And then God convicts me. He's like, well, you're one too. You know, it, a hypocrite, it's, 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 it's an actor. You know, think about an actor who puts on a mask, they play a role, and, and, and we're trying to play the role. So he says, so when you pray, don't be like somebody trying to play a role of a spiritual person when there's no spirituality there. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now, this isn't saying, Jesus isn't saying don't pray in public, because I know sometimes like we, we do Bible studies and, you know, with our staff, you know, I'm like, okay, who's going to open in prayer? And, and, and we, we pray every Tuesday for every prayer request that comes into the church as a staff. We get together. And it's funny because some days, you know, even our staff, they're like, oh, I'm just not, I, I don't know if I want to pray today. I'm like, okay, you're opening, you know, you close this, you know. And it, Jesus isn't saying that it, it's wrong to pray publicly. What he's saying is it's wrong to pray publicly if we don't have a habit of praying privately. People say, well, my faith is a private matter. Yes, it is, but it's got to be public as well. And so our habit of praying in private begins to impact our ability to pray publicly because he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who, is, who, who sees you in secret will reward you. What's that reward? Because we always think, well, if I'm praying, what's the reward? The, the reward is a deeper connection with God. The reward is, I feel like the reward when I read this and the way I look at this is where Isaiah found himself when he, was, when he was ushered into the presence of God. Isaiah is taken up in a vision and he's in the presence of God and he sees the holiness and he sees everything and his response is this, I'm a dead man. I'm a man of unclean lips. I have no right to be here. And then Isaiah says that an angel came and he took a coal from the stand and he touched my lips and made me clean. The reward is this unclean wretch of a man, this broken shell, and the only righteous I can muster is filthy. The reward is I get to be in the presence of a holy God. If I get nothing else, that's more than I ever deserve. And he says, we've got to make it a habit of prayer. See, this, this series, I don't want you to just have a prayer time. I want you to have a prayer life. I mean, when the Bible talks about pray without ceasing, pray constantly at all times, it doesn't mean that we, we, we become monks and we sit and we just pray for hours and hours and hours. No, it means we're in constant connection and communion with our Father. I mean, it, it's, God never gets bothered with my communication, I know sometimes I bother Heather when I, when I go to the store because I might text her 500 times. Because when I go to the big box stores, I just get, I get overwhelmed. I mean, I'm taking pictures of everything. I'm like, hey, do we need this? Do we need this? Do you want this? I'll get this for you. Do you think we need this? And, and, and finally, the other day, I, I, I could sense in the return responses, my welcome was wearing thin. So I said, I'll stop now. God never tires of that. I can wear just about anybody on this planet out with my communication, but God never gets tired of that. So he says, come into this time. And then he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And now this, this begs the question, well, if God knows what I'm going to ask for, why pray? Prayer builds relationship. There are times I can see, when, when my kids were young, I could see them coming from a mile off. I know what you're going to ask me. I know what you want. Money. Right? Or you want curfew extended. Or you, you know, I know you want something. And I've figured out what you want before you build up your sales pitch to me. But I still love it when they come and ask. Because my girl, listen, my girls knew how to manipulate me. They still do it. And they've taught my grandkids how to do it. (laughs) And listen, my grandkids have a lot easier time than my daughters did. But I love that connection. So why pray? It's a deepening of relationship. And he says, when you pray, don't, don't go on babbling, you know, like, you know, oh God, thou art God, most holy and high. And it, listen, when you pray, get real, get honest, get vulnerable. I mean, I was thinking through the vulnerability of people who interacted with Jesus. And, 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 and there's a story in the New Testament in the gospels where a woman was caught in the act of adultery. And was brought before Jesus. That's vulnerable. That's, I can't cover, I, I've been caught. I have no way of putting on a mask and, and showing a different side. No, no, it, when we realize that we can be honest and vulnerable for God, we can get some real good communication happening. And if you're angry, if you're angry at God, that's the best time to pray. Because I, I remember a time when I was angry with God, and I'm just, I'm, just I'm, I'm going at it with him. And I just remember him saying, son, I created you, and I know anger is an emotion you have. Don't sin in your anger. And, and here's what, what really transformed my angry prayers. God said, well, if you're angry with me, bring it to me. Don't take it out on me. He can always handle that if we'll get real and vulnerable and honest. And now Jesus says, when you pray, when you got that mindset that you're not putting on a show for everybody to see how spiritual you are, and when you can really get honest in the presence of God, he goes, now pray like this. And then he goes into our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some translations go on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, a lot of times we hear that and we, if you've grown up in certain religious circles, you could just quote it. It just becomes, oh, oh, that's the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, you know, it just becomes something we do. It becomes formulaic. Jesus is not giving us this prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. He's not giving us the formulaic prayer. He's given us a model for it. I mean, this, it's not a chant. I mean, we can go through the words and mean nothing. How often do we do that, right? I mean, so I'm not meaning to pick on anybody. But when we pray before the meal... How many of us just have a set prayer? It's the same thing every time. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Bless it for the nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. 
my pre-meal prayer is very short. Because, see, I got a prayer life with God, and he knows I'm hungry. <laughs> and so I keep it short. But, but I, I, found, I found something. I want, I want you to see how we can kind of make a little, make our pre-meal prayer a little different. Let me, let me show you this. Thank you for this food, God. We thank you for the hands that prepare this food. And we pray that you would bless them both, God, and do something at this meal, God, that has never been done. Oh, oh. Daddy, God, we just thank you so much um, for our time together. And I pray bless the food and um, give us a budget because we don't really have one right now. Oh, my goodness. Is that dairy? All right. Father, God bless the food. Nurse, our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. And we pray that uh, as we eat the food, Lord, that you would uh, do something new in us. Also, I thank you that next week when I go to the grocery store, Lord, you're going to give me uncommon favor um, with my Costco membership. You know, it's past expired. So, hey, Taylor, say grace. Um, Father God, please bless this food and nourish it through our bodies. And uh, forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Okay, some of y'all guilty, <laughs> but if you're the long-winded guy, don't invite me to dinner, okay? Or if I'm going to have a, di- a meal with you, let me eat before I show up, okay? But we, it, it, we can just get into just formulaic prayers, right? You know, if I tried to talk to Heather that way all the time, we're not going to get anywhere. We want, God wants us to have a deepening communication, and when Jesus gives us this, this model of a prayer... He's showing us how to be connected in our communication from the heart. I mean, when you, when you start to break down that Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts out by saying, remember who you're talking to. I mean, remember who we're, who we're actually getting to converse with. That Jesus, his, his death and burial and his resurrection made the way for us to speak to the creator and sustainer of life. We get to have a personal conversation with our Redeemer, with our Father. When he says our Father in heaven, we realize he's in a place of glory. He's in a place that is, is, is higher than where we're at right now. And the things that we're dealing with, we, we, we just remember his holiness and this place in heaven. When, when he says, hallowed be your name, that, that saying that, that, that I want to make sure that your name is kept holy. In some translations, when you, when you actually break down the Greek, it says, let your name be treated with reverence. Even when I'm frustrated, even when I'm hurting and I'm broken, I need to remember that I'm not just talking to somebody on this planet. I'm not just talking to somebody who's going to listen and try to figure out my situation and give me advice. I'm talking to the one who's seen my days to the fullest. And I got to remember that he sees a perspective that I just can't understand. And I go back to Isaiah and God said to Isaiah in chapter 55, he said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. That's who I get to talk to. Not the one who can just see me in the situation, but who has seen the fullness of it. 
that's a powerful thing when we realize that we're in his holy presence and that, that he desires that. And that, that reminder, what that does in my prayer life is it sparks praise. It sparks awe. That when I think about praising God, I get to be that close with the one who formed me and created me and called me by name and who has seen the fullness of my days. It's amazing that when we remember, you know, because a lot of times we just start out, Heavenly Father, you know, we'll go, Dear Heavenly Father, or we'll go, Lord, let that be a reminder. We are speaking to our Heavenly Father. We are speaking to the Lord of all creation. It's powerful. Then when he gets into it, when we realize that, he, he says, let your hearts be open as we present our needs. Because God knows we have needs. He says, God knows. Jesus said, God knows what you need before you even ask it. So we, God does desire us. He said, present your needs. I want to hear your heart. What's on your mind? But what happens is that when I present my needs, the holiness and the presence of God help reframe things because he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That when I start asking God for things, I start asking according to his will. It, it's really, it's, it's, an, it's an alignment, right? Because when he, says, when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here's one thing that, that is mind-blowing. In heaven, it's already worked out. The problem that you're facing right now the challenge I'm facing right now, in heaven it's already worked out. How's it worked out? For God's glory and my good. But what I need right now, I need an alignment of my heart to walk that out. I need an alignment of my heart so that when I'm asking God for these things, then, then I'm aligning myself according to his will. And I, then I begin to ask God for these things. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. What, what he's saying is just, you don't just ask for food and, and you ask for, for, for help forgiving our debts. We're praying for a full provision that comes from our Father. I mean, do you, there's a commercial that I hear on, on one of the radio stations I listen to. And he's a he's guy that wrote a book. And I think the book is titled Rich Dad. And every time I hear that commercial, I'm like, I got the richest dad on earth. I mean, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My father doesn't just own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the thousand hills. It's all his. He's got it all. And when I come to him, I'm coming to him knowing that he has the fullness of supply to meet every one of my needs according to his glorious riches. That's the remembrance, right? Because I'm talking to my father who has it all. And he's already seen the fullness of it for his glory and my good. And I got to align my heart to walk with that. And so we ask and we ask for what we need. And when he says, forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors, listen, our greatest need is forgiveness. That's the greatest need we'll ever face. When he talks about this trespass and debts, I think of Romans 5, because Paul's writing about this. When he says, through one man, Adam, through one man's trespass, all were sinners. All were dead. All were given a death. Through one man's trespass, created a debt of sin that none of us could pay. 
But how much greater is the free gift that came through the one man, Jesus Christ, who paid our sin debt on the cross, that when we come into the presence of our Holy Father and we ask for that forgiveness, that grace that Jesus paid for on the cross, that God freely and fully forgives us our sin debt to be remembered no more. And then Jesus will also say, as we forgive others, if you go down to verse 14 and 15 after this prayer, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. God is saying, it's, I have grace for you to transform you to be a graceful person. God's saying, don't, don't ask to receive from me what you're unwilling to release for someone else. Some of y'all, uh, and, uh, me, <laughs> I see the lotto sign, and I pray. <laughs> God, do you know how much I could do for the kingdom with $999 million? <laughs> that's, when my, that's when God's like, hey, I own the cattle and the hills. Remember that. All that's mine. I was like, well, you want to release some of it to me and let me see what I can do with the kingdom? But see, it, you... You pray, we, we pray for financial provision and financial blessing, but are you willing to release that? I mean, the old joke, you know, in church, like the guy's like, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give all this money. And the pastor's like, no, you won't because you're not giving now. It's a hard thing, right? Are we willing to release what we're asking to receive from God? Am I willing to forgive people the way God forgives me? It's a big deal. It's a big issue to God. He takes it very personally. And so we, we, God loves it when we ask for things. And I do. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray for these things. But the number one need I have is forgiveness. And the number one thing I need to be praying for is more of Christ in my life. I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work more in my life. It's a great book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. And he said that people would come to him and say, can you pray for peace for me? Can you pray that I have more love? And he responded, no, I won't pray that for you. And the people would be perplexed. Why won't you pray that for me? He goes, I'm gonna pray that you have more of Christ in your life and more of the Holy Spirit at work in your life because when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you'll have more love. You'll have more joy. You'll have more peace. For those are his fruit that he and he alone cultivates. Our greatest need is forgiveness and our greatest request should be, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Because what happens in that, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about this, what happens through that is you and I become shaped in the image of Christ. And we all with unveiled face, he's speaking of Moses, that when Moses would have to enter the presence of God, he would have to veil his face because of the holiness. But Christ, as our mediator, has pulled the veil off through our salvation. We can come freely into the presence of God. He says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What is that image? For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit transforming us in the image of? Christ. My greatest request, Jesus, 
I want to be more like you. John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and he says, may I decrease and he increase. Paul would say, the things that you see in me that are holy and righteous is Christ. People need to see the Christ in us. And we need that power of the Holy Spirit to grow like that. And then Jesus closes it out. And when he's closing it out, he's saying, walk it out with confidence and trust. What what does that mean? Walk it out with confidence and trust. Because a lot of times we're like, well, I I asked God for it. I just don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. I got confidence that my father has heard my heart. And I can trust him because he's proven himself trustworthy over and over and over. When Jesus, here's what I mean by walk it out in confidence and trust. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, Let me... Let me bring some clarity to that because God will never lead us into temptation. God does not tempt us. James would say that half-brother of Jesus would write, God will never tempt us. So where does that temptation come from? It comes from us. To step into something other than the will of God. Because a lot of times we'll pray something And then we try to make it happen. And we've just been led into temptation to take it back on ourself and out of God's hands. And then he says, deliver us from evil. As soon as we pray, the enemy's on it. He is on it. And he's coming after it. And he wants to destroy the hope and the trust, and the confidence, and the faith that God is pouring into you. He wants to steal it as fast as he can. Because then he'll come and tempt you with what we're going to talk about next week is unanswered prayers. Well, if God didn't do it, then God must not be real. Or if God is real, he definitely doesn't love you. An enemy's coming after. And listen, Paul gave us what to do in Ephesians chapter 6. He gave us a guide for this when he talks about... uh, This attack from the enemy. Listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, the attack on your prayer life is not the people you work with. The enemy and his demonic forces are coming after you. And when you pray, you're in the presence of the Holy Father. And when we step out of that time of prayer, we got to stand firm because the fight's on. The enemy's watching us. I heard somebody go, that's why I don't pray out loud because I don't want the enemy to hear it. (laughs) Y'all, you need to have some communication with God. You know, I said, Heather and I can have a conversation without words. I could have a conversation with God without words. He knows my heart. He perceives my thoughts. But listen, we got to be communicating. But even if, they, if you, even if you don't pray it out loud, listen, our life, the enemy stalks us. He knows where our heart is tuned and where we tend to walk and what we're looking at and what we're feeling. He picks up on that. But he says, therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Look at this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He didn't just say at certain times. We walk in a prayer life, a constant connection with God. And God begins to guide that. Suited up, praying at all times. In traffic, out of traffic. At work, at home. A constant connection where we're sharing our heart with God. And we pray because it strengthens that relationship. Our prayer life takes discipline. Communication takes discipline. Healthy relationships take discipline. There's a discipline that helps the discipline. The discipline of of prayer is powerful. And there's a discipline that Jesus also teaches about called fasting. And and we as a church, starting on, on Monday are fasting, and I'm asking you to, I'm inviting you to fast with us. Heather and I are doing this, the staff is doing this, our leaders are doing it. I'm inviting you to fast with us. And fasting is a discipline that feeds a discipline. And people ask, well, what, what, what do I fast? 21 days? We're not eating for 21 days? No, you ain't Jesus. Heather and I pray about, God, what do we fast? And we, uh, we do, a, uh, ours is a dietary fast. Some people I know, they fast television. Some people, they just, you know what, fa- fasting does this. It's taking an earthly appetite and saying, I'm foregoing that to feed a spiritual appetite. And the discipline of the fast isn't the foregoing, the earthly appetite. The discipline of the fast is pressing into the heart of God. And a lot of times, personally, God will ask me to fast something that ultimately, if I'm being honest with you, it's something that's become an idol in my life. So not only do I end up fasting from what has become an idol in my life, but I end up getting the power of God to tear down the idol. And I'm inviting us to a 21-day fast. It's not a hunger strike with God. It's saying, I'm, I'm foregoing some earthly appetites because I want you. And we've, we're going to be publishing a daily devotion. Each 21 days, we're publishing a devotion so you or you and your family can do those together. And for this, this series, we've... We've launched a prayer wall in our commons. If you're watching online, you can post comments to the services for the prayer wall. For those on campus and coming on campus for this month, we have a physical prayer wall for you to write prayer requests. And what my hope is, as you see that prayer wall, you'll be reminded of this. We all got big prayers, but our God is bigger. We all got big things that we're facing. 
but our God is bigger. And I can't wait to see what God does through us as we press into his heart. Because you can't get that close to the Father and not be changed. And I will close this the way we always close a prayer in Jesus' name. Why do we close in Jesus' name? Because his death and resurrection gave us the ability to have this connection with our Father. Father, we come to you. We humble ourselves because you are holy. You are righteous. You are amazing. You are our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, our friend, and our Father. Thank you that you desire to spend time with us. God, we're asking and praying to ask for you to help us in our prayer life. Open our hearts to align our hearts with yours. Jesus, thank you for providing an opening to grace, providing for salvation, for us to have a living, deepening relationship with you. God, we just declare to you, we need you. We need more of you. May we be obedient and faithful to receive more of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our mediator and savior. Amen. Let it be done. Love you guys.